Hi, welcome to the Axe Church UK weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired and blessed by today's message. Enjoy! Today is the last final uh, Sunday for the 21 Truths and Thoughts uh, on how to live a breakthrough life. I thought it'd be good to do a very quick review, uh, especially for those of you who just joined us. And those of you who have been with us since the first Sunday, it'll be, it'll be good, right, to just review back the other points uh, from point one all the way to uh, point 18, which was last Sunday. And then today, by the grace of God, I will do three more points. XCV, can you help me, please? Here we go, point number one. Number one of all numbers, all right? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's number one. Number two, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Number three, serve God with all your heart. Bible says, whatever you are doing to the Lord, do it heartily. Do it with all your heart as unto the Lord. Number four, always put God first in your life. Put Him first in everything. Number five, always prioritize your quiet time with God. Okay, make sure He's first in the morning and last at night. Number six, Always give only your best to God. Give something to God that makes sense, that really does, uh, what's the word we use? Uh, it, it costs you something, all right? David said, I will not give to God that which costs me nothing, all right? So give to God something that means something to you, that is special to you. Number seven, never stop believing. The Bible says love believes all things. Some of us, sometimes when we get into this place where we stop believing, that's when all trouble starts. Number eight, never stop forgiving. Remember, forgiveness is a choice, but not an option. Number nine, never stop learning. And this especially for the older ones, all right? Uh, sometimes we think that we have arrived, we have learned all that we could learn and we can't learn anymore, you know. With this pandemic, the older, older ones had to learn how to, you know, use the computer, uh, use Zoom, uh, you know, give their tithes uh, online. Never stop learning, alright? Number 10, uh, stay faithful. Stay faithful, everyone. Faithfulness is the most important characteristic to God, amen? And He said to us, be faithful uh, and, and we know the reward at the end of the day is, well done, my good and faithful servant. Number 11, stay humble. God resists the proud and He exalts and exalts the humble. Praise the Lord. Number 12, stay focused, friends. Stay focused in everything, okay? Focus on God. And remember, I said this to you, what you focus on, only grows bigger. That means even your problem grows bigger when you just focus on it day and night. But God also grows bigger when we focus on Him. Amen. Number 13, which is of course the number that uh, closes the first batch of uh, points. Point 1 to point 13. And point 13 is not everything is spiritual. Okay? God has also taught us to take responsibility of our own lives, of our own future, uh, to take responsibility, to speak the right things, think the right things, do the right things, be disciplined, all right? Take the medication if you need to take the medication, whatever it is, not everything is spiritual. And that was the first batch of points, 1 to 13. 
And then I started on the second batch of points, which was going to be the next eight points. Today, of course, I'm going to finish uh, six, seven, and eight, uh, but we did the first five points. And so number 14, to continue, we talked about thanksgiving, the power of thanksgiving, to enter His gates with thanksgiving and to His courts with praise. Number 15, take authority. God has given us authority through Jesus Christ. The Bible says, all authority has been given to Christ and Christ tells us, go therefore, go therefore, amen. Another scripture we read is, every place that the sole of our feet will tread upon, He has given to us. So the key is, the authority is with Christ and Christ says to us, go, means we've got to walk out that authority and walk out to see and to experience His power and God will give us if He has not already given us uh, the land. Amen. So take authority of your lives, of your family, your marriage, your company uh, and your city. Amen. Number 16, talk the talk, so important. The power of life and death are in the tongue. So we must learn and not just learn but you know, make it a habit every day to talk the talk. Amen. The uh, theme for Acts Church 2021 is prophesy. And we need to learn how to prophesy, speak God's word, speak God's truth, speak life, amen? Declare the word of the living God no matter how you feel because it's not about feelings. It's about faith. Let's look at the next number, number 17. Think the thoughts. May the uh, words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O God. Remember, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If you want to be healthy, think healthy. If you want to be wealthy, think wealthy. Amen. Praise the Lord. If you want to have victory, think victory because God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask and think. Praise the Lord. So think the thoughts. What was the next point? The point, this point, number 18, uh, is really the last point we did last Sunday. And I finished off last Sunday with tongues. Oh, the power of speaking in tongues. The Bible tells us when we speak in tongues, we edify ourselves and we speak directly to God. It doesn't even pass through our understanding. It speaks directly to God. You know, I finished that message last Sunday and by Monday, when I was walking around the park near my house, God gave me a visual. He made me see uh, an imagination that the devil who was trying to strengthen his grip, you know, sometimes when we're sick in our bodies, when we have pain, uh, when we have discomfort, uh, it's like the enemy, you know, reaching in with uh, his uh, fingers, right? Uh, and trying to strengthen his grip. And, and, and as he strengthens his grip, you know, the pain grows uh, and the discomfort grows and, and, and uh, you know, the, uh, the, the torment grows as he digs in his nails and his fingers. That was the visual I got. No, the enemy just wants to dig in because it's the foothold, stronghold and then stranglehold. You know that because I've taught you that before. So the visual I got on Monday morning when I was walking is when we speak in tongues, when we and we do that for a couple of minutes a day, we do that for a couple of uh, 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 hours a day if we could. You know, you, you know what the Lord showed me? It was like this grip that the demons were having on our health, 
And, uh, you know, all the demons could hear was this heavenly language. You know, and this heavenly language called tongues was lifted up to the Lord and it was rattling, violently rattling the grip of the enemy over our lives, shaking it violently, shaking the stronghold of the enemy. And you know, God is like shaking the enemy's grip through tongues, right? And, and, and the enemy can't stand it any longer. And I could see in this vision I had in my mind as I was walking in prayer on Monday morning, I could see, you know, Satan and, 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 and the devil and, and his demons just, you know, can't hold on to you anymore. Cancer can't hold on to you anymore. And all these diseases can't hold on because you're rattling the cage and, and, and you're shaking it off in Jesus' name. Can I hear a good amen? Praise the Lord. So maybe that's what Matthew eleven twelve means. Maybe go back, read it and meditate on it. Jesus said, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Come on everybody, let's continue to pray in tongues, give thanks to God, praise the Lord, do whatever it is that you've been taught, alright? Because the enemy cannot be allowed to continue to strengthen his grip on your life, on your health, or your finances, or your family. Can I hear a good amen? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, I'm going to go into the next point and try by the grace of God to finish all three points uh, with you today and therefore finishing all 21 points. Alright, let's do this. Point number 6 uh, for the 8 points and point number 19, I believe, for the 21 points. Let's talk about the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer. You know, the Lord's Prayer is so precious and so powerful and I want to explain it to you right now uh, how powerful it is. You know, first of all, I want to say, why worry when we can pray? Some of us, you know, when things are happening in our bodies, in our finances, in our families, we take a lot of time to worry. I don't know why, but Jesus already said, don't worry. Now, of course, He knows that we are human beings and human beings worry. And that's why He has to say to us, don't worry. And then He says to us, how many of you by worrying can add a single cubit to your stature? Meaning, can we add... Any answers to our problems? No, not at all. Uh, in fact, if anything, worry will add anxiety and even open the door to fear. Uh, so don't worry. I know you do. I do sometimes. Uh, but Jesus says, don't worry. So instead of worrying, why don't we pray? You see, I'd rather you pray for five minutes than to worry for five minutes. If you're going to worry for half a day, I'd rather you pray. Because at least prayer, God answers. Worry doesn't touch God. Worry doesn't move God. Prayer does. Because prayer is prayed by faith. So why worry when we can pray? But not just any prayer, people. You see, many years ago, there was a prayer called the prayer of Jabez or Jabez. And um, many books were written on the prayer of Jabez. Maybe from the same author. Um, maybe a, a few other authors, you know. Uh, but business was doing really well in the sense that many, many books were being sold. And we uh, who were Christians, you know, like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, we can remember the prayer of Jabez. And this is how the prayer of Jabez went. And everybody was memorizing the prayer of Jabez and trying to pray this prayer over our lives and our families. And here in First Chronicles, chapter 4, verse 10, this is what the Bible says. And Jabez 
called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. Now, I remember I went to one of my Christian brothers and we were talking about the things of God and then we got into the whole issue of prayer. And then I said to this brother, do you know, have you heard of the prayer of Jabez? And he says, yes, I've heard. I said, wow, you know, it's a big hoo-ha now. You know, everybody's in it. Everybody's memorizing it. Everybody's praying it. And you know, there are testimonies that it's working. And then this brother just looked at me and said, how about the prayer of Jesus? Where's the hype there? <laughs> Where's the memorizing there? Where's the excitement there? <laughs> and I smiled as I nodded my head and said, that's right. We're all so excited about the prayer of Jabez, but none of us are as excited as the prayer of Jesus. And yet, Jesus is greater than Jabez. So I said, that's right. That's right. We should be teaching more about the prayer of Jesus. We should be using the prayer of Jesus. Not just any prayer, but the prayer that the Lord Jesus Christ Himself taught us. So let's look at this prayer right now, Matthew 6, 5 to 14. And I'm going to just begin uh, from verse 5 instead of the usual verse 11 uh, or verse 9. But let's read from verse uh, 5, shall we? And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. Let's pause here for a moment. They have their reward. I want to tell you that Jesus is teaching us that prayer has got rewards. Did you hear that? Because Jesus is saying they already have their reward because they want to be seen by men instead of to be heard by God. But if you are praying right and if you are praying good, then you and I should also expect a reward. Not from men, but from God. Let's read on the scripture. But when you pray, go into your room. Wow. You don't have to be seen by men. You don't have to be heard by men. And when you have shut your door, wow, not just go into your room, shut your door. Pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. He will reward us openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Let's move on. In this manner, therefore, pray. Now, before I go on, I want to just highlight the word manner. Manner just means the way. This is how you should pray. I think about it as I was preparing these last three points and I feel like the Lord has reserved the last three points to be three points on the manner. The manner or the how-to or the way we do it is equally important, if not as or more important than what we think. It is the manner, this manner, in this manner, you shall pray. Let's pray this prayer. Our Father in heaven, 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. There is a way to pray. God's way. Now, the reason why I love the Lord's Prayer so much is not just that it shows us the way to pray. The Lord's Prayer gives us perspective, doesn't it? And this is the, the, the perspective. I alluded to it earlier. If you want to be seen by men, you probably won't be heard by God. But if you want to be heard by God, you probably won't be seen by men. We've got to choose this day whom it is that we serve and whom it is that we pray to. Where is the reward that you're seeking? Many people on this earth daily work to please men. But we are called to please God and Him alone, especially in our prayers. I love the Lord's Prayer because it's not just perspective, who is God and who we are and who is the rest of men and where does our reward come from? We want our reward to come from the Lord. Not only perspective, but I love the Lord's Prayer because it gives us posture. That's right. The trust and dependency that God calls us to have. You see, we are even taught not to use vain repetitions because God will not need many words. And you know when you don't use many words, it speaks about faith. It speaks about trust. It is people who probably don't have enough faith that will try to you know, say the same thing, pray the same thing and use many words and for many days and many months. No. And that's why I taught you before. You pray three times, use Paul's formula. And for the rest of the time, before your prayer is answered, you just give thanks. Every day. Say, Lord, I pray for this illness. I pray for this disease. I pray for this deliverance. I pray, I pray, I pray. And then start to give thanks. Lord, thank you that you have already heard my prayer. Thank you that you've already healed me. Even before the healing comes, begin to thank God and praise God. So don't use vain repetitions. Begin to enter into thanksgiving and thank God by faith. He speaks about faith. He speaks about where your trust and my trust lies. Trust is a posture. Have you ever seen people who don't trust in anyone? Just himself or herself? Have you seen anyone who does not need to depend on anyone else? How is their walk? How is their talk? Usually, it's peppered and salted with pride. I'm a self-made man, they say. I'm a self-made woman. But for those of us who trust and depend on the Lord, look at our posture. The posture before the Lord is very important. Not the posture of the body only, but the posture of the heart. That's why the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not. See, you lean on your own understanding. Can you see a posture when you lean on your own understanding? It's a posture of pride. I lean on my own understanding because I know it all. But for those of you who don't lean on your own understanding but instead lean on the Lord, you will realize there's a posture that pleases God. It's called a posture of trust and dependency. I love the Lord's Prayer because it speaks of priority. 
That's right. We'll get there. Let me move on. I love the Lord's Prayer because it speaks of partnership. You know, when Jesus was asked to teach how to pray, He says, in this manner pray. And you know what He said? He says, our Father. The revelation that God gave me was, if someone asked me, Kenneth Chin, teach me. You know what I would say? I probably would say this, my Father. Because I'm teaching the person who's asking me how to pray, I would say, my Father. But when the Lord revealed to me, when He said our, is because Jesus wants to pray together with us. And so Jesus is actually praying anytime and every time we are praying the Lord's Prayer, we are praying our, and I always imagine when I'm praying the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is praying for me. Jesus is praying with me. Our Father who are in heaven, hallowed be your name. Are you with me? That makes the Lord's Prayer so powerful because Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father and the Bible says He makes intercession for us day and night. And so when we pray His prayer, wow, we're praying not only His prayer, we're praying with Him. Our, we are partnering with Jesus when we're praying to the Father. I love the Lord's Prayer because it's partnership with Jesus. I love the Lord's Prayer because it's provision. Give us this day our daily bread. I love the Lord's Prayer because it's protection. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I love the Lord's Prayer because it deals with the evil one. Amen. It deals with all that the evil one wants to throw at you. That God will deliver us from the evil one. God has that covered. The Lord's Prayer has that covered. I love the Lord's Prayer because it's about power, the power of God. And that's why he ends the prayer by saying, yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Now let's get back to priority. Life is about priority, isn't it? Everything is about priority. If we live by priority, we won't live by pressure. Are you all still with me? The reason why sometimes every day we got pressure from this person, pressure from that person, pressure to finish this, pressure to do that, is because we haven't lived by priority. If we live by priorities, we will not live by pressure. So, the Lord's Prayer is the prayer of priority. Priority number one, let me share it with you. Priority number one that the Lord's Prayer will remind us is that God is first and the devil is last. Can I hear a good amen? God is first and the devil is last. You know, He did not teach us how to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, please take the devil away from me, number two. You know, Or, uh, Our Father, please take the devil away from me. No, praises to God first. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. God is always first. And that's why Elder Rose said this morning when she focused on God, her back pain was healed. Focus. Who is our focus in prayer? Is God first or is our problem first? God, you are first. No matter how I feel in my body, no matter what I'm going through with my finances or my family, you are first and you are worthy to be praised. I enter your gates with thanksgiving and into your courts with praise. The devil is last, you know that, on that prayer. In fact, that's not even entirely true. God is first and God was last because it's our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then, yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory. That's how the prayer ends. So God is first, God is last. But if you look at it, your problem and my problem and the devil's disturbance, all is at the end. It's, it's like, it's so insignificant. 
To God, he can just sneeze and blow the devil away. It's nothing to him. It's nothing to him to heal, to provide, to protect. That's the priority I want you to have. And in between that priority, between God and the devil, there are other priorities. First is the kingdom. Remember this, people. Every time you're praying the Lord's Prayer, His kingdom is very important to Him. His kingdom must come first. His will must be done. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Kingdom first. And then flowing from kingdom is wisdom. Give us this day our daily bread. It's not just about bread. It's not just about money. You know, when God asked Solomon, what would you want me to do for you? Solomon, instead of asking for riches and for bread and for power, you know what Solomon asked for. He asked for wisdom. Wisdom. And God was so pleased with that request from Solomon that God added to Solomon finances, wealth, power, authority. God loves to give His people wisdom. And I'm telling you right now, the Bible speaks about wisdom being even more precious than gold and silver. Ask of me. Proverbs will tell you. Psalms will tell you. Wisdom. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Give us this day our daily bread. Do you need wisdom? God will give it to you for your business, for your family, for your relationships, for your children. God will give you even greater things than money can buy. Wisdom. But first is the kingdom and then the wisdom. And then the poison. To get rid of the poison in your heart is to be forgiven and to forgive. You see, the only other thing that can spoil God's plan for your life is that you keep the poison of unforgiveness in your hearts and you fail to forgive others. And that poison will kill you no matter what God is trying to do for you. There is poison and poison will ultimately kill. So get rid. Forgive us this day. Forgive us this day. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So that's next. And the one after that is temptation. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. There is priority. It's not temptation first. It's not poison first. It's kingdom first and then wisdom and then poison to be rid of your mind and heart and then temptation to be delivered in Jesus' name. This church, X Church, has been instructed by the Holy Spirit to pray the Lord's Prayer every day and to be reminded that God has taken care of every need in our lives in the name of Jesus. God is in control. God is in heaven and God has all that we need. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Oh, pray the Lord's Prayer every single day, people. Pray the Lord's Prayer. Hallelujah. And see not just perspective, see posture, posture that God loves, you know, humility, see dependency, you know, see priority, see partnership with Jesus, amen, see protection, see provision, see power, hallelujah. Pray the Lord's Prayer. The next point is take communion. Take communion. 1 Corinthians 11, 24 to 30, this is what the Word of God says. And when He had given thanks, He broke the bread and said, 
Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. These are the words of Jesus. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. I want to point your eyes, first of all, to the word manner. Unworthy manner. So we are talking again about the how-to. There is a way to take communion. There is a way to say the Lord's Prayer. There is a way, there is a manner. God is interested in the manner. I believe He's interested in our hearts, the way we come before Him. He's interested in our attitude, people. Alright? So this scripture talks about the unworthy manner. It's not talking about the unworthiness. Because if it says that we who are unworthy cannot take communion, then I, tell, I can tell you right now, all of us are unworthy. So he's not saying, those of you who are unworthy, you cannot take. No, not you are unworthy. In an unworthy manner. Are you all still with me? This is very, very important. It's the how, it's the way. God is very interested in the manner. The how. Come before the Lord with the right how. With the good and godly how. God is interested in the how. Alright? But let me go on further with communion now. Three words that you find in the scripture we just read. Often, remember, and proclaim. So, Jesus says to us, do it often. How often? As often as you can. I know a man who, who did it every day. I try to do it every day. Sometimes I miss a day, two days. Sometimes I miss one week. But I try as much as I can because the Bible says often. And every time we do it, we are to remember Him. Remember what? Remember that He sacrificed His body and His blood for us. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Listen people, we are to have everlasting life. Come on, I confess over every person watching now. Abundant life. Eternal life. Everlasting life. Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. And not only that, but when we take communion, we are proclaiming His death. There is power in the death of Jesus. Jesus died for our sins. And when you think about that, when you remember that, you know that every sin has been paid for. Every sickness has been covered. Every disease Jesus paid for is a done deal. You were not healed yesterday. You were healed 2,000 years ago. And by His stripes, we are whole. Amen. We are healed. Praise the Lord. It's all about faith, people. It's not in the emblems. It's not whether you're using biscuit or bread or chapati. <laughs> It's not whether you're using Ribena or real wine or Coca-Cola. I've heard testimonies of how a young boy who didn't know better had a mom who's sick and he used Coca-Cola. And I don't know what he used for the bread. You know, it was a cookie or something like that. And he says, Mom, Mom, 
I don't know whether he was eight years old or nine years old. He says, Mom, Mom, let's take communion. And all he had was Coca-Cola and some cookie. Maybe it was a chocolate chip cookie, but it's not the emblems. It's the remembrance. It's the power of thanksgiving. It's the power of focus, isn't it? It's faith. You see, if you are to do something often, you have to believe in it. If you are to remember what Jesus did for you, you must believe that Jesus did it for you in the first place. If you are to proclaim His death, you must believe in the power of His death. And it also says, until He comes. Means you must be believing that He will come again. And you know how Satan trembles when he thinks about Jesus coming again. How the demons tremble because already the demons were saying to Jesus, have you come to torment us before our time? So they know their time is coming. And they know they will be tormented in a lake of fire. That Jesus Christ is Lord, the Son of God. And so demons are trembling. So when we take communion, it is by faith, it is focus, it is thanksgiving, it is all that, people. You know, I have a testimony that I shared with you before, so I won't take all the time, but I had a sickness in my body. You know, the doctors couldn't quite understand what it was. And because I knew there was power in the act of faith in taking communion, I took it every day. I decided I, I would do this because this is from the Lord. This, this is what the Lord initiated. And after a few months, I was healed, totally healed from the condition. <laughs> the condition that had no name. <laughs> but I felt, you know, like I was brand new. I, I felt like, you know, the sickness had been taken away. And every day I chose to focus on the Lord. When I took communion, it was remember Jesus, not remember your pain, not remember your sickness, but remember Jesus. And so when my wife, you know, she found out from the doctor that she had a cyst. I think it was in her ovary. And the doctor said, I had to do surgery to remove it. My wife was not willing to just, you know, immediately agree to the surgery. So my wife said to me, can you pray with me? I said, of course, I'm your husband. <laughs> Together too, you know, when we gather, Jesus is with us. There's power when two agree. And I said to my wife, I will agree with you every day. But then I told my wife, let's also take communion because I did it and I believe it. And by faith, I want to do it with you. And my wife said, yeah, okay, let's do it. Oh, and there were tough days where you know, either we were too busy or you know, she was late to go to the office or something you know, would try to stop us from taking communion every day. But thank God, I said to my wife, I will support you. And so even though my wife sometimes forgot, I would say, no, I will go and prepare, you know, the cup. I will prepare the bread. And every single day we made sure, and this was my support to my wife, we would take communion. And this is a testimony that my wife shared many times already. That after three months, she went back to check and the doctor said, I cannot see the cyst anymore. It's gone. How did you do it? And my wife said, we prayed. You know, we didn't share about the communion because this person wouldn't understand. But we knew. Me and my wife, we knew the power of the act of faith, of communion, because it was instituted by the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. So listen, two things that was instituted by the Lord already this morning. One, the Lord's Prayer. Two, communion. I, I remember Smith Wigglesworth. He's one of my spiritual heroes. You know, Smith Wigglesworth, uh, in his time here on earth, he raised up 14 people from the dead. And one of them was his wife, you know. And his wife died and, uh, you know, Smith Wigglesworth asked them to carry her body to his bedroom. 
and he rebuked the spirit of death and she woke up and then she said, oh, why did you wake me up? You know, I was already in God's presence. I was having such sweet fellowship with Jesus. And uh, Smith Wigglesworth told his wife, but I haven't said goodbye to you yet. And so she said, okay, dear, you know, and then they hugged and uh, she said, release me, dear. And so he released her, you know, and she went back to sleep to be with the Lord. And then he woke up again. Spirit of death, be gone. And he, she woke up again. And she said, what is it, dear? And he says, you know, I haven't finished my conversation with you. I want to talk to you a little bit more, you know. And so the story went that he woke his wife up seven times from, from the dead. And finally, at the seventh time, you know, uh, or the eighth time, he said goodbye and he kissed his wife. And this, this is a man of faith and he's one of my heroes. And um, I remember one story where he said, you know, from 60 plus to 80 plus, he was attending so many of his friends' funerals. You know, he went one funeral after another funeral over 20 years and he got tired. He was so healthy. You know, he didn't go to the doctors, didn't have a need to go to hospital uh, and uh, he was walking without a walking stick. He was 87 years old. And one day when he went to one of his funerals, he was tired and he said, God, I think I'm done here on earth. You can take me home now. And the way the story went is that Smith Wigglesworth died almost on the spot, not too long after he prayed that prayer. And so when the doctors took him to examine him, to do investigation, what killed him? Was it a heart attack? What was it? Because he just fell to the ground and died. And so they did the investigation, the post-mortem, and they couldn't find the cause of death. Only the, the, the people who could tell the story is just the, the people who you know, were close enough to him to hear him pray that prayer. And then the doctors had this report. The doctor says, when we cut him up and did the post-mortem, Smith Wigglesworth had a body, although he was 87 years old, he had actually a body of a 30-year-old man. <laughs> 87 years old, but a 30-year-old man body. No wonder he was healthy. Didn't need a walking stick. And you know this is his testimony. People who knew him knew to share this. Smith Wigglesworth took communion almost every single day of his life. I want to say this to you. It's about the only spiritual practice, the only spiritual discipline in the Bible that involves partaking of something physical. I know that other religions, sometimes they've got this paper, eat it, They've got that paper, burn it, put it into water, drink it, you know, and all kinds of things people have. But in Christianity, there is nothing else that you're supposed to eat. Are you all still with me? Nothing else that Jesus says, oh, you must eat this, you must eat that. Or, no, there's only one thing that is consumed that goes into our body and that is the bread and the cup. Think about it. Think about it. That's, 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 that's pretty cool. To me, it's the only thing that Jesus instituted that is from the outside going into the body. The other thing, of course, is tongues, where it says when you speak in tongues, you edify yourself. But this is an actual bread <laughs> and an actual cup of drink that when we take, we are to remember Him. It goes inside our bodies. So I call it sometimes God's supplement. It's not man's supplement. It's not the doctor's supplement. It is God's supplement. It's like the vaccine or cure. And when I take it, I take it with that faith. That when it goes into my body with my focus on the Lord and my faith in Christ, that which goes into my body becomes to me health. 
Are you all still with me? Becomes to me medicine. Becomes to me a blessing. Let me share with you very quickly what I believe about communion, about the body and about the blood of Christ. It is the power of His body broken and it is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the power of His blood that makes the difference. I'm going to right now show you two slides and I'm going to go back and forth. I'm going to show you what it means to me. The body had to be broken. But the body was a man's body. Listen to me now. It wasn't God's body. It was the body of a man. God had to send His Son in the form of a man to take on man's sins, to take on man's temptations, to take on man's curse. So the body had to be broken because sin was the one that caused the body to be broken. So the first point I want to show you that I believe is that the body spoke about, about identification. I, you know, there, 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 there needed to be an identification and so God had to make His Son man on the earth to identify with us, to identify with our weakness, to identify with our frailty, to identify with our sickness, to identify with our sin. So the body was there to be identified but the blood was there to intervene. The blood is not the blood of a man. The blood is the blood of the Son of God. The blood of the Lamb that was slain. Are you all still with me? This is very important for you to understand. That, that, that you see, every time you take communion, there must be the body broken and there must be the blood that the cup represents. So that I, I believe, personally, there is a purpose for each. One reminds us of the humanity of Christ. One reminds us of the divinity of Christ. One is identification, the other one is intervention. What is the use of just identifying without the intervention? Let me tell you another thing I believe. I believe that the body broken is the match. You see, when you go through an operation of, let's say, a transplant of a heart or a transplant of a liver or a transplant of a kidney, there must be the right match. Maybe there must be a, the right bone match. Maybe there must be the right blood match. So the body spoke about the match. God wanted to match His Son, the humanity of His Son with our humanity. And once that match was found, then the blood flowed to, trans, to transplant, to transplant what was of God into us. God's blood came into man. Are you all still with me? I want to show you another thing that I believe in. The body spoke of the vessel. God had to find a vessel. And Jesus was that willing vessel. And when God found that vessel, which is the body of Christ, He then made the exchange, the divine exchange happen. Our sin for His salvation. Our sickness for His healing. Our weakness for His strength. Are you all still with me? Our body broken for His blood shed. Are you all still with me? There had to be a divine exchange. This is what I believe. That's what's happening when we take communion. One more thing I'll share with you. What the body means to me. The body broken is the target. God had to zoom in. The body, the humanity of Christ was the target. Now I got the right target. So what does the blood do after the target is there? It's the treatment. One is the target. Get the target right. You're targeting man and you're targeting man's sin and you're targeting man's sickness. And now that you've got the right target, treat it. Treat it by the blood of the Lamb.
Because, you know, the enemy is defeated by the power of the blood of Jesus. You know, my uncle had a nose cancer once upon a time. I think it was about 10, 12, 15 years ago. And he had to travel to Singapore because he found out through his research that Singapore had a machine that could treat cancer. But this machine was so advanced that it doesn't just treat cancer, it is a very targeted machine. Maybe they have it now in Malaysia. See, the old machines would, uh, well, try to target around the nose somewhere and then when it hits the nose with the radiation or the chemotherapy or whatever it is that they were using, uh, they would not only kill the cancer cell, but the old machine would kill all the other cells around it. But the new machine had such a laser-focused target that it will only target the cancerous cell and not the good cells around it. That was the power of that machine. It had to first find the what? Target before it treated. This is my conviction. This is my faith about the power of the body and the blood of the Lamb. Jesus came in the form of man to target man. And then His blood flowed to treat men. Here in Revelations 12, 10 to 11, it says in the Bible, they, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And come on, everybody, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Praise the Lord. Everyone watching, if you really have something that the devil has tried to grip in your life, your health, your finances, I want to encourage you, take communion. Take communion as often as you can and take it by faith. Don't take, you know, just because you think there's magic in the emblems. No. Power is in the name of Jesus. Power is in His body broken for us and His blood shed for us. Power is in the faith and the focus. Power is in the thanksgiving. Remember that. Power is declaring that Jesus Christ died for you and me and He will soon return. And that will just cause the devil to shiver and cause him to feel like the torment is coming and you know we pray that just that itself will cause him to leave you and i tell you what don't stop until you see deliverance don't stop until you see healing amen the final point somebody say final point are you happy about the final point now i'm not sure okay it is only by the grace of god that i could do all 21 points with you really by the grace of god that's why the christians are taught to say, God willing, this will be done, that will be done. You know, I don't dare say it will definitely be finished in seven weeks, except and unless God allows it. So it's all by God's grace, all by His will. I don't know when I'll see you again. You know, it might be weeks from now, months from now, because we have other really, really good preachers who will, majority of, that, of them will keep to time. <laughs> so I must apologize to you, those of you who thought, wow, the last seven Sundays, uh, wow, Pastor, you've been going, you know, over time and all that. But you know, uh, even though I apologize, uh, uh, I don't. 
also because uh, I don't want to apologize for the Holy Spirit, all right? I, I, I know that He gave me this teaching and he, he wants to see you free. He wants to see you blessed. I know He's told me to pray for needs and to see miracles happen in the name of Jesus and for His glory. So I know what God wants me to do and so therefore I don't apologize for Him. I don't apologize on His behalf. But I know that some of you have been really patient to stay on until the very end, until the benediction. Thank you, all right? But... Rejoice because this is the last uh, Sunday of the 21 points. The last point is tithe. The power of tithing. Malachi 3.10 Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. There may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven, and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough whoa, to receive it. And not only that, but God says, I said God says, come on everybody, listen to me again. God says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field. This will work for you even in the pandemic, even in COVID-19, whatever it is, your fruit will not fail, nor will it be destroyed. You see, the pandemic is a real devourer, isn't it? It has devoured people's jobs, it's devoured people's businesses, it's shrunk your finances, your bank account, your investments, it's a real devourer. But God promises that He will rebuke the devourer. For whose sake? For your sake. And He begins by saying, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. You see, in the New Testament, it is not so much the law of tithing that's important as the spirit of tithing. I know some of you will argue and say, Pastor, tithing is the Old Testament. I don't just want to speak about the law, the 10%. I want to speak about the spirit of tithing which was there even before the law came to play. And the spirit of tithing is about setting something precious apart. You know, when you set something apart for God, it's called holy. And you bring something holy to the Lord. Day after day, week after week, month after month, you bring something holy, set apart. You bring it with your hands to the Lord. You offer it to God. That's the spirit of tithing. In Matthew 21, let's talk about the spirit of tithing even more. Not the law, but the spirit of tithing. Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And Jesus said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Why a den of thieves? Why did Jesus call them thieves? What were they robbing? Well, I believe they were robbing God of the true praise and worship and sacrifice and holy things that the people were called by God to do for Him, unto Him. You see, let me give you a quick uh, 
explanation. In the old days, when you were going to bring a cow or a bull or an ox to sacrifice to the Lord, you were to walk for five kilometers, maybe. Ten. Maybe it would take you half the day to journey from your home to the Lord's house. Do you know it's not easy to pull a bull? And so by the time you arrive at the temple, do you know you're tired and you're weary and you're sweating? So what do you think God looks at? Your bull, your ox, your your cow? Does He want that? Or does He want to see your love for Him? Your sacrifice? The fact that you were able to pull this bull all the way because it's for God. It's for God and, you, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the cow or the ox or the bull, you know, needed to stop for a while to drink, you know. And so you had to stop and you had to pull it again and sometimes, you know, the bull or the cow or the ox is not that cooperative and you have to pull and with every, with every pull, it's not for you, it's for the Lord. Or it's an unblemished lamb that you had to bring. So if you had to bring an unblemished lamb or animal, whatever it is that the Lord wants, it has to be unblemished, spotless. So can you imagine, before you went to the temple, you had to go to your flock and you had to look and you turn the lamb around. Oh, this has one spot. Oh, that has two spots. Oh, can you find one without a spot? Do you know you're bending as you're going? And that bend is a posture. That bend is humility. That, that trying to get down on your knees to look at that little lamb. And you're sweating as you go. God is seeing all that, friends. He's seeing all that. Even before you brought the lamb. What, do you think He needs a lamb? Do you think He really wants a lamb? No. He wants our hearts. And so that it was what the people in the temple was robbing God of. Because now they made it easy for the people. Now there's a place for people to sell animals and maybe even doves. There's a place because maybe you came from too far a place and God was very merciful. He said, if you come from very, very far, yes, you can go and buy from the temple and offer it to the Lord. But I think, you know, because God allowed that, people were abusing it. And maybe they only came from 500 meters away and still they want to buy because it's so convenient. And that's what people want today, to give God convenience. But God doesn't want just your presentation. He wants your preparation. And that's where I said before, preparation is even more important than presentation. Because you and I know that God doesn't want your money. You and I know that God doesn't want your lamb. He doesn't want your bull. He doesn't want, you know, the doves. Hey, listen, talk about doves. Talk about birds, huh? Do you know how difficult it is to catch birds? You probably have to be on your knees again, behind a wall, you know, peeking through a window with a string tied to a basket and, and you know, food underneath the basket and a bird or a dove will come and then, boom, you try to catch. And sometimes if you're not fast enough, the bird flies and you go, oh no, then you have to go out again, put your basket up, put a stick, you know, t- put a string you know, all the way over the window and then you're what again? You're on your knees again. Watching, waiting, sweating. And what do you think God is seeing? He's not seeing the dove. He doesn't need the birds. He needed to see you do your best to catch the best for Him. So what were the people in the temple robbing? Why were they called thieves? They were robbing God of the real, true worship and praise and sacrifice and love and thanksgiving. Are you all still with me? It's about the preparation more than the presentation. 
It's about the availability more than the ability. Are you available for God? Are you available? Not your ability that He's after, your availability. It's about the value more than the amount. God has never been about just amount. Remember the woman with the two copper coins? Sometimes called two mites? What is that compared to the much silver and gold that others were giving? But Jesus had something to say about that. Because the value was much higher. It cost her everything. It's about the worth more than the cost. Someone might say, what does this cost? And then the question should be, what do you think it's worth? Sometimes we are also bothered about cost. And we ask for discounts and this and that. And sometimes we will never get what we are trying to bargain for because we didn't appreciate the worth. And the person refuses to sell to you because you haven't seen the worth. You're still talking about the cost. Wow, so high the cost. And the other person who's selling it is saying, but do you know it's worth? Too many of us are worried about cost when we should be thinking about worth. God is not just looking at the cost, He's looking at the worth. And God thinks that you and I are worth the death of His Son. In the Old Testament, it was 10%, wasn't it? But in the New Testament, it's everything. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury, Mark 12, 41-44. Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how, I underline the word how, how the people put money into the treasury. So again, <laughs> we talk about the Lord's Prayer, it's the manner in which we pray. We talk about taking communion, it's the manner in which we come before the table of communion. And now we talk about tithe, it's the manner, the spirit, the attitude, the how, the way to give. Jesus did not see how much, He saw how the people put money into the treasury. Mark chapter 12, verse 41 to 44. Verse 41 says this in Mark 12, how He saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrants. So He called His disciples to Himself and said to them, Assuredly I say to you, that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all. Come on, people. She put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Listen to 2 Corinthians now. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. For I bear witness that according to their ability, Paul said. Yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So it's not just about the money, it's about the life. And many of us struggle with giving money because we haven't first given our lives to the Lord. And once you have given your life to the Lord, money is no problem. God wants not just 10%, He wants all. 
And the 10% is just minimum. It's not the law of tithe that I'm interested in, it's the spirit of tithe. You know, there was a story about a young boy, a poor young boy. Many of you have heard this before. When the offering plate came to him, he had no money to give it. And so he took the plate, put it onto the floor, and he stepped on it. To the shock of the people in that church many, many, many years ago. I think he was born in the 1850s. His name was Robert Moffat. He said to the people around him, I'm so sorry because I don't have any money. But what I have, all that I have is just me. My life, I offer to the Lord. I offer my life to the Lord. Robert Moffat is the renowned missionary to South Africa who at 21 years old, God mightily used him and sent him to South Africa and he, you know, totally reformed missionary work in South Africa. But not only that, Robert Moffat had a son-in-law who he, Robert Moffat, had greatly influenced. The reason why we have a David Livingston and more people know David Livingston than they know Robert Moffat, but David Livingston is the son-in-law of Robert Moffat and David Livingston actually was greatly influenced by his father-in-law to actually go to Africa and transform the continent of Africa for the glory of God. Are you all still with me? All this because a young boy gave his life onto an offering plate. See, way back before any law on tithe and offering was introduced, because some of you are still thinking, it's law, it's law, it's Old Testament. No, way back before even the law was introduced, we already saw how giving was honoured by God. Genesis 3, 1 to 5. We don't have all the time to read it. But you know that in Genesis 3, the serpent, Satan, tempted Eve and asked Eve, is it true that you can't eat of all the fruits in the garden? And Eve said, no, there's only one. And God says, you will not eat it, you will not touch it, lest you die. And Satan says, no, you won't die. Because God knows that when you eat it, you will be like God. Listen, the Lord revealed to me many years ago and tithing has been a principle, principle in my life. And where I am today is largely because of this tithing principle. Tithe and let the Lord rebuke the devourer. Tithe and let the Lord bless you. Tithe. You say, but Pastor Kenneth, I heard that you don't even have a salary and you haven't had a salary for 25 years. But tithe anyway, there's no excuse. Give to the Lord. Bring something precious to God every week. Don't come empty-handed before the Lord. This is my testimony. God revealed to me, even from the book of Genesis, way before the Ten Commandments, way before the law, God said to me, Kenneth, the reason why I told Adam and Eve not to touch that one fruit, you see, I'm such a good God, that I gave them all the fruits except one. And the reason why I say don't touch this one is because when you agree that you shouldn't touch this one because I said so, then you agree that I am God. But if you can touch anything and everything, then you agree that you are God. So I will always put something in a man or woman's life that he or she cannot touch, must not touch, because I said so. And if you don't touch it, 
Don't eat it. Don't even come close to it. Because, not because it's not good. You're going like, God, why? Uh, that fruit looks good. It can actually be the best looking fruit in the whole of the garden. But just because God said so, then He is God. I am not. And He's already so good that He's allowed me to eat of every other tree. Only one. And God has got this very principle of the Garden of Eden in our lives, every one of us until this very day. And today, I call it the tithe. The tithe is God's. It should not be touched. And when we even touch that, we're saying, who is God? I'm God. And that's what Satan said. If you eat of this fruit, God knows that you will be like God. So the temptation was to be like God. And every one of us who don't know God want to be like God. And even those of us who know God also are tempted to be like God because we want to be our own gods. We hate to hear someone say, you can't touch this. We hate to hear someone say, you can't eat this. We hate that someone else is in control of our lives. We want to be our own gods. And that is the power of tithe. That is the principle of tithe. That is the spirit of tithe. That there will be always something that does not belong to you. It belongs to God. Don't touch it. Because you are not God. He is. Cain and Abel in Genesis 4. I'm drawing to a close now. How did Cain bring... It says the Bible, in the Bible, he brought an offering of the fruit of the ground, but Abel brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. This is Genesis 4, people, before any law about offering was given, before any law about tithe was given. Already, the spirit of the tithe, the spirit of giving was there. And in Leviticus 3, you don't have to turn to it, just take note of it. Leviticus 3, 14 to 17. It speaks about how God wanted the fat of the animals. And the Bible actually says, the fat belongs to the Lord. You know, a lot of people like fat, right? When we eat the siu yolk, roast pork. What do we go for? Why, do, why is, does this taste so good? Why do we eat bakute? Bakute without the fat, you know? How about steak? The, the most expensive steaks are the ones that with the most marbling. And you know when you say marbling, it just means the fat. But God says the fat belongs to me. Even God loves the fat. And now I go back to Genesis 4. How did Abel actually know not only to bring the firstborn, meaning the first fruit to the Lord, but to bring also the fat? You see, that law cannot be found in Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4. But how did Abel know how to please God? I give you the principle now. The principle is this, when one's heart genuinely desires to please God, it will be revealed to you how much and how. Even if it's not written anywhere, you will know. Some people can be arguing about tithe until the cows come home. But when you really want to please God, you know it's right. And you're not after giving God the minimum even. You're, giving, you're wanting to give God the maximum because all of our lives belong to Him. As I draw to the last lap, Psalms 25 verse 14, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear Him. Means those who seek to please Him always. And He will show them His covenant. That's how you know. That's how you know. 
I don't need to argue with you about tithes. I know there's power in tithes. I know I am today where I am because of me obeying God. God is God. I am not. Don't talk about 10% people because I have no 10% to even measure with because I have no salary. But how do I know how to bring to God every week something that pleases Him? It's the spirit of the tithe, spirit of the giving. Jesus said in John 15, 15, No longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. So God wants to make known to us the power of the tithe. The question I want to ask you is, are you a friend of God? Ex-church, are you a friend of God? Am I a friend of God? How do we become friends of God? We become friends of God simply by faith. It is by faith that we become friends of God, the kind of faith that leads to obedience. Be obedient with the tithe. Some of you are preparing to give your anniversary gift. Praise God. Ask God for a number and give to God. I already have a number in my heart. It's painful. It's always painful when you live by faith. But I will give it to the Lord because God gave it to me in the first place anyway. But I will give it to God without touching my tithe. Tithe and offering are two different things. Some people will go like, okay, I'll give to God and then I you know, forsake my tithe for the week or for the month. No. The tithe is God's. The offering is yours. The offering is yours to bring to God and it can be how much or any amount or everything. But the tithe, don't touch what belongs to God. Often the very thing we can't afford to do, ex-church has learned this. And I'll give it to you now. Often the very thing we can't afford to do is also the very thing we can't afford not to do. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, says Galatians 6. For whatever man sows, that he will also reap. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Tithing is sowing. Sowing by faith. Sowing into God's kingdom. Many people say they don't have time. I remember going to Jakarta once and there was a businessman. He said to me, Pastor Kenneth, I learned a lesson. The lesson is, you will reap what you sow. God is not mocked. If we sow, we will reap. He said, I put God to the test because if His word is true, His word must be true. It cannot be true sometimes, not true other times, no. If it's true, it's true. So this brother in Jakarta said to me, I own a big company with many staff. And every day I find myself without any time for myself. And I'm so busy, I keep saying to God, I can't serve the church, I can't serve the church, I can't serve because I have no time. I'm such a busy man. I was called to the ministry. Oh, sorry, I was called to the marketplace. I was called to business. You know, so I have no time for the church. No time, no time. And the Lord challenged him one day. If you say you, know, you don't have time, and if you want more time, sow time. But how to sow time when you don't have time? Well, the man decided to. He said to his, his uh, secretary, he said, you know, cancel this, cancel that, postpone this meeting, postpone that meeting. I am going to start going to homes or cell group. I'm going to start to make time. And you know what happened? He's, this is his testimony and I'm, I'm giving it to you in a very quick way because we have no time now. But the man said to me, Pastor Kenneth, God was faithful. As I began to sow the time that I didn't have, Remember the statement before this? Sometimes we can't afford to do it. Actually, we can't afford not to do it. And he said, 
I began to sow time into church, time into ministry. And you know what God did? He added time to me. I said, how did He do it? He said, Pastor Kenneth, amazing. He gave me such good managers, the kind that you can't even find through the job street. He gave me such good, godly, faithful, trustworthy managers that I found it, that I, 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 I went to office less and less and less because all my managers were so, so God-fearing, so good, so proper, so great at their work that they actually released me to be able to do more of what I wanted to do. I wanted to spend time with my family. I wanted to spend time with God. I wanted to spend time with the church. And see how God answers? He can answer through giving you good staff so that you don't have to always be looking over your staff's shoulder. See how God answers? You sow time, you will reap time. You don't have time, sow it and get more. You don't have enough money, sow it, get more. The tithe is only a minimum guide. Just a minimum guide. Our whole life belongs to the Lord. Our hearts are what God is truly after. Not really our money, our hearts, our obedience, our faith. 21 points I give to you in love. I thank God for the opportunity to do it. I preach it as if your whole life depended on it. I know some of you really need to hear this because some of you are desperate for a breakthrough. I tell you right now, by faith in Christ, try it. Whatever the Holy Spirit reminds you from point one to point 21, you know, not everyone will be used every day. Sometimes you will say tongues. Sometimes you will say tithe. Sometimes you will say talk the talk, prophesy. Sometimes you will say think the thoughts. Sometimes you will say, you know, give me your best. Sometimes you will say forgive. Sometimes you will say, you know, be humble and I will exalt you. Whatever it is, friends, this is my gift to you. As God has given me, I give to you. And I pray for your breakthrough. I pray for your blessing. I love you. You know, as long as you're part of X Church, you're my family. And even if you're not yet X Church and you might be from another church, you are from my bigger family. But if you are not from any church and you do not yet know Christ, I'm going to call Rose, Elder Rose, in just a moment to come and to lead you in a very important, simple but significant prayer. And I pray that all of you will say this prayer, those of you who have never given your heart, your life to Jesus Christ. I want to tell you right now, He loves you. He loves you. The Bible says God so loved the world. He loves you that He gave His only begotten Son. He is the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And the Son of God is God. And He loves you. And I want you to consider before this service is over to pray this prayer with Elder Rose. She'll be up here in 30 seconds and she will lead you. And I pray, even for those of you who are backslided, come back to the Lord. Today is the day of salvation. The Lord bless you. Amen. If you've been touched by today's message and would like to invite Jesus into your life, why don't you join me in saying this prayer? Lord Jesus, thank you for paying the ultimate price for my sins by dying on the cross for me. I receive your love and forgiveness and eternal life by faith. Come into my heart and life and be my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in today. We hope that you've been blessed by today's message. For more information about Acts, you can check out www.actschurch.uk. God bless.